0: Welcome to the Somatic Gospel Podcast. In this show, we explore the powerful intersection of faith and personal growth. Our focus is on helping listeners achieve greater awareness, healing, and transformation through the blending of somatic experiencing, polyvagal theory, psychology, neurology, nervous system healing, and emotional intelligence in relation to the gospel. We believe that by bringing these diverse approaches together, we can offer a unique and powerful way to support the global body of Christ in its journey towards greater health and wholeness. Join us as we delve into the deepest questions of faith and explore the many ways in which we can all grow and evolve as individuals and as a community. So let's get started. Alrighty, here we are. The Somatic Gospel Podcast. I'm with my best buddy, Nate. And uh, we're here to talk about how the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't only something about the end where Jesus makes everything perfect and new and it's all bubbly and sweet and nice. But how the gospel now in the present moment is a healing balm, a healing medicine for those of us who are journeying from pain and trauma and the sense of loss. In certain eras of our life, the gospel meets us in the middle and the intersection of our pain and brings healing and wholeness to us in the person of Jesus by the spirit in grace. And there's ways to embody that way of being. And so uh, most of these conversations are going to be about the practical, incarnational, embodied, visceral, experiential reality of the gospel when it hits our body the somatics regulates our nervous system rewires our neurology and all that really fun stuff that the church doesn't really speak about we love them but we know that they don't really talk about that so we're kind of just flowing today so um if you want to kick it off with some thoughts i have some things to go through maybe you'll create an opening for some Flow to come through,
1: yeah. I I think one of the things I wanted to chat about, just because it came up in our conversation this morning, was about how we both, you know, hit our hit our some walls yesterday, as we we did this first call together where we're actually recording, and then we both came together this morning. We're like, what happened? We had a we had a day where we were in our yuckies, like we, you know, and I brought up the the possibility of it being some sort of spiritual attack or, you know, which I don't give a lot of credit to because we, our framework that we come from is being manifested sons of God, which means we sit in heavenly places with authority, with power. We, we don't, I don't approach spiritual warfare from it being some heavy duty that I need to fight demons all the time but rather I'm seated in rest with the Lord and he fights my battles. I worship, I praise, I adore him and he takes care of the other things. And so a heart of gratitude is the best warfare in the world. So I don't know. I I guess I'm kind of wondering your thoughts in the realm of transformation, because I think this context of having a, a spiritual um spiritual reality doesn't come up much in the transformational world. It comes up a lot in the Christian world, but it doesn't really come up in transformational world, in the, the transformational training world, so to say. So what are your thoughts and how those two realities blend together?
0: Um <clears throat> okay, so um here here's what I'm going to say. Yes. Um I think primarily the way the um let's call them the demonic entities, right? Yeah. Um so like what is what what is what are demons, right? They're spirits, they're disembodied. They exist in the spirit world, but they somehow interface with our world um they can influence us uh doesn't mean that they always do but they can um so the word um i'm i'm I'm, lo- I'm looking this up in the greek because i um the word for devil in the greek is the word diabolos and it means slanderous accusing falsely right and it's a, it's a false accuser unjustly criticizing to hurt to malign and condemn to sever a relationship. Um, Mm. And so, you know, it could also mean backbiter, an accuser, a a calumniator, a slanderer. There's literally someone who casts through, making charges that bring down. So I think a lot of the narrative that I um, worked through yesterday was very like, you know, hey, you're not where you need to be, like you're, you kind of (laughs) suck. Yeah and, and and so I do want to say there's this really cool clip that I saw from Mark Driscoll that you shared you shared with me. And I realized that a lot of like the narrative was a you, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait a second, like now I'm 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 a little more conscious of it. Like yesterday all I could do was just like be in freeze mode and then just fall asleep early. Right. <laughs> like that's all
1: because so I did the same thing. Like I, I was like started- in the same space wild wow. yeah
0: i was like okay um i'm going to um i'm going to like sit with this and uh i'm not going to like try to do whatever but it's interesting um that's what these spirits do is is they cause you to slander yourself as if it's your own voice, and mm-hmm. it's not. Um, and and the voice of the father isn't um slanderous, right? The voice of the father is whole, right? Yeah. Um, it's wholeness, it's healing, it's love, it's all this. Um also no. da- demon, um it daemon, right, in the Greek. Um has to do with like a mindset of accusation too, like with these spirits. So like I think there's we we get because we're coming from a Christian worldview, um, we can't just limit everything that someone's working through to oh, it's just trauma. Huh. Yeah. No. <laughs> yes, yeah, I- yeah, that's definitely a part of it, but um, if you're you know, we live in the reality of two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And what we're talking about is helping people navigate through a bunch of these different things. Um, and this is the this is where spirits hold people to their strongholds. Because remember, the strongholds exist, right, in the mind. And so the the journey is Romans 12: renew the mind to tear down the strongholds. A lot of these strongholds do come from trauma, but demons love to attach themselves to these traumatic experiences and then tack on extra narratives of accusation or slander. Um, So I think um, that's a part of it too. I think um, it's not just evolutionary psychology like a lot of the guys who I do listen to like Peter Levine or Gabor Mate on like somatics and the nervous system and polyvagal theory and all this stuff, you know, a lot of those guys are coming from more of an evolutionary psychology framework. Um, They don't have a template or a context for Christianity. I think a lot of the people in that space tend to be uh, kind of anti-Christian only because I think, their view of Christianity isn't that um the atonement is healing and Jesus is the healer of the world but that again they probably are projecting onto Jesus and Christianity this punitive retributive Puritan puritanical sort of stuff on onto it because they're living they live in the West they live in the West so of course you know yeah. most of what they get is you know the weird uncles of our family
1: uh which I find. <laughs> I find it so interesting a lot of a lot of people in transformational work, uh in therapy, narrative therapy, uh, or NLP, that they still tend to stay stuck in their own narratives, which is which is again interesting if we even include it in this kind of conversation of like, well, maybe it's not just their own narrative, maybe there is some spiritual things at play also, which is kind of a whole nother conversation, but in some aspect but i i you said a couple of things that really stuck out to me and one was about that you know demons are disembodied spirits which i think is interesting when we talk about the work that we're doing is being about uh embodying um being an embodied son of god that these disembodied right. spirits actually their goal is to make them and make us in their image not in the image of god god's image is whole complete and perfect and their image is fragmented and shattered and fallen. Mm-hmm. And so that's actually their goal. And that through accusation, I think accusation is one of the the, 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 the most dangerous tools that we can use as a human being because it, it really is a declaration of war. And I know, man, I catch myself having automatic mm-hmm. accusations and assumptions Really, I'd say more automatic assumptions. But I would say accusation is when we when we believe those assumptions to the point that we're convinced of them without actually having understanding or asking questions. And so we live as though our assumptions are true, and that becomes a way of accusation, which would be the way of, of the devil. And hmm. I I think the way they do that, and the way that this spirit realm wants to influence us is to fragment our own consciousness through, like what you were saying with the use. You, you've done this. Look at what you're doing. Look at how you're not good enough. Look at how da 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 da. Look at how you 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 you, and it all turns inward, which is why grounding can be so powerful when we're experiencing even maybe some sort of spiritual attack or whatever, because it it gets our attention off of us off of that voice off of the accusation and whether it's just a mindset or it really is spiritual beings like let's say someone's listening to this and they're not a, they're not a christian you don't align with those things well okay still take the same concept that maybe there's a maybe there's some sort of mo- demonic mindset demonic meaning that accusational mindset that's in you that is so inwardly focused that if we take some moments to get out, get our energy out of that and into our own, outside of our own consciousness, and get grounded, or out—not outside of our own consciousness, but outside of the the you, you, you—the inward focus to outward focus, then then we can begin to 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 take a look at ourselves without the accusations of ourself.
0: Hmm. That's good. <clears throat> yeah.
1: Wow.
0: Where's this guy? Yeah. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I, I find, I still find it really interesting about how you said so they're disembodied spirits
0: they want to embody something right they want to embody someone to express their their ungodlikeness and their um their fragmentation right and which is why which is why the new age is dangerous um depending on like certain things within the new age are extremely dangerous because you're opening yourself up to beings who are fragmented and because they have casted off all good all beauty and all truth um they are themselves corrupted and seek only to corrupt more like a cancer yeah right That's and so true. when we we start you know playing around with deities from you know different cultures and stuff and start opening ourselves up to you know getting inspiration from other spirits in spirit right inspiration yeah. That's where fragmentation can begin. Uh and and, and it just
1: I was gonna say it's so interesting because the the new age promises healing, but it's yeah. such a such a a deception in a lot of ways because how can we separate healing and life from the creator of life? Like we we can't we can, but that's just another fragmentation.
0: Which is why here's the thing. Now hear me out. Which is why, you know, those new age people who focus only like on love and light and are like really positive and like loving people, (laughs) you're talking about the Christian God. (laughs) Yeah. Those are Christian ethics and uh, Christian values. Because if you look at the ancient pagan world, it was brutal and violent and there wasn't a high anthropology in ancient paganism ancient paganism had a very low anthropology right to the point where they're like you know what we can sacrifice our fellow human beings to the gods not that, that now that wasn't every culture and ritual and every right but but it was a lot of them right um even like the people from Papua new guinea like they're cannibals not every one of them but yeah, they eat each other's brains, right? Like I, I mean that that goes to show you like the depth of our own fragmentation through not you not participating in union that'll bring us to the place where we will kill each other, we'll eat each other. Um, and you know, I don't know why we're going down this particular path, but um I think this as one of the first earlier episodes, it's really important for us to make the distinction that Although we, we do give um, a measure of weightiness and value to some of the frameworks around somatic trauma therapy, experiencing psychotherapy, um, cognitive behavioral frameworks, neurology, all that, that we know that there's a spirit dimension to human beings. And it's not just those things that cause fragmentation, but there's also the sin element, uh, passed down from adam not the guilt of adam but the corruption right more of a eastern view and, and, and that there's there's like spirits that are very um interested in in bringing the cancerous corruption of um like desolation right and like rot to humanity yeah. which is why like frameworks, belief systems that are anti-Christian are championing things like, let's destroy the idea of nuclear family. Let's destroy um, the glory of womanhood, right? Feminism. Let's just destroy all all these frameworks and institutions that point to the glory of God in Christ and his residual effects on the world. And so again, like the, a lot of those ideologies are inspired by demons because they seek to destroy the good, the beautiful, and the true in God's creational things. Like what is a man? What is a woman? The sanctity of life and children right? Well, like,
1: yeah. Like- and if we, if we look at that, if we, if we look at it, it's really interesting too, because talking about how the core of, of the, the operating system, so to say, or the core of how the, this malevolent spirit realm works is through accusation. And a lot of those ideologies that are being espoused at the moment are all rooted in some sort of finger pointing accusation. You did this to me. I'm, I, I, it's, it's like, I'm the oppressor and you're doing this to me, but whether it's women, um, minorities, whoever it might be, there's, there is an underlying narrative of accusation. Mm -hmm. And if we can see that, we can see that that's actually not partnering with life. No matter how much people want to say that this is life, it's not life because it's such an accusatory mindset and accusation is at the heart of murder. Like nobody murders just, I shouldn't say nobody. Maybe there's people that are fragmented enough that they they murder just out of some twisted kind of pleasure, but that's a different way of fragmentation than what I'm talking about. A lot of it's rooted in an accusation. Let's just look at uh, Cain and Abel. You know, he, he was angry and it was, essentially accusing him in some form of another of he felt robbed. He had a narrative of, of how he was better than him. And so he accused them of, of things that weren't true by his own narrative and murders him. And that it's, it's such a dangerous road to go down to open ourselves up to any kind of narrative that doesn't bring in Um, the truth of the healing life of God because there are other other things at play that that want us more fragmented that are working in ways we cannot see to bring deeper fragmentation which I think even if we look at America I mean look at how fragmented America is it's pretty fragmented right now In in a lot of ways broken and separated and disjointed and You've got people who hate America. you got people who love America. you got people who are in the middle in, in all kinds of things. And not just America, but the world at large. But definitely, I think we see it more in America right now. And um, I think we, it's vital for us to come back to um, the acknowledgement of Christ in our, in our world right now, in America well absolutely
0: <clears throat> absolutely um i'm a, i'm a huge fan of european era christianity um if you look at the the beautiful cathedrals and art and music and cultural influence of christianity on the world especially more in the european side of the world i mean some of these cathedrals look like are oh, beautiful creations of ai art right? Like it was a human mind or human minds that did that. And it was an air of like, Jesus is so worthy and so lofty and glorious that we're going to create art that reflects the beauty of who he is. And that's what I really love about European Christianity. Um, look, I get it. There's, there's a sullied past with it, especially with the Catholic stuff. But, um, I do love that about what it is. And then, you know, we come here to the West where, you know, when Christianity starts moving westward, there's a loss of a lot of that um, beautification of the world because of Christ's incarnation. Yeah. There's a loss of that, especially because the type of Christianity that emerges in the new world is more Calvinistic and Puritanical and anti-Rome. <laughs> so anything that resembles it is like no, we're just we're we're just not doing that. And so like I think that's a, also a part of the problem. Is um, there's just other podcasts that I've listened to. I think I've shown it to you, um, Lord of Spirits, with the Orthodox priest Stephen Damick and the other guy. Um, And he talks about a need to re-enchant Christianity. It's not enchanting in the West, like Westernized Christianity. It's not enchanting. It just, it just feels like a, like a moral, you know, like it feels like a courtroom. Whereas if, even if you, if you walk into an Orthodox church, if you listen to the service, if you really start immersing yourself in what the Orthodox call the phronema, it's a Greek word. It's like framework mindset of the, of the Eastern Orthodox church Is it it, it's almost like this enchanting Lord of the Rings, (laughs) like mystical world of incredible beauty and cosmic implications of what Christ has done. And I think like that's also some of the things that people want here in in the West. Like the reason why people are moving to to like more new agey, kind of weird, fringy stuff. Is because there's a level of mystery and enchantment that westernized Christianity doesn't offer people. Um, and and then they're susceptible to demons, right? And so, like, I feel yeah. I feel like there yeah. there is a chance here to um reintegrate our ancient Christian mystical roots in with some of the the, the modern language of what we've been talking about, what this whole thing is about. Um, and so mm-hmm so that people aren't subject to demons, but, but holy angels. Yeah. Right? And, <laughs> and, absolutely. and like, you know, the, the creatures from heaven and, and the, the clouds of witnesses and the old saints, you know, and all of that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I think, I think one of the, one of the things to consider too when it comes to artwork is the how art actually plays into our own framework and how it plays into how we see the world. I remember I would go and meditate at this, uh, when I lived in Illinois for a, for a season, there was a Franciscan church there. And I would go into the cathedrals, incredible, incredible beauty, incredible artwork, man, with the art that they had on the ceiling. And they had this replica of the Ark of the Covenant with Jesus hanging over the Ark of the Covenant. Oh. And I would go in there and there'd hardly be anybody in there in the cathedral. They also had a, have a museum of, of St. Francis beneath the cathedral. And so I would go in there and just be still, just be quiet with the Lord. And it was so beauty, beautiful to experience that that level of art. And what my um what the, the director of the cathedral talked about, the director of the whole facility, this is like a retreat center and stuff too, is that. Um, Hewitt said how art is this mirror that we have it's a it's a mirror that we design it we create this artwork as a human and then we behold the art and it actually creates us back and so art can become this actual feedback loop that helps to heal us and and heal the the fragmentation of our soul and I think there that there's something that Christianity offers in the realm of art that no other sphere of influence does. But most other spheres of the arts fragment the soul deeper because of the things that it focuses on, from lust to greed to um the, the the things of the soul that actually further cause uh you know, whether it's opening up to the spirit realm through, you know, a lot of the new age art is like that beautiful artwork. These guys, the, the guys who, who make some of this art are extremely talented, but some of it's a shrine to other gods, to yeah. other spirits. Yeah. And, and it, all that does is bring upon more fragmentation. Whereas looking upon the scars of love, the the one who actually is selfless is fully empties himself for our own good not for his his own good but for our good and that's where a lot of people a lot of our brothers and sisters in the west uh in in a way get it they have said there's such a misconception around the cross being how god needed something satisfied god needed us to worship him god needed us like god's this needy narcissist and Mm -hmm. not an other giving being of love who is self-emptying and who who comes to actually heal our own fragmentation by joining himself to our fragmentation and <laughs> healing it from the inside out? You know, oh. it's, it's so different. And so when we when we meditate on that kind of artwork, it, it and that's the beautiful thing. It's like we create something that then can create us back in that image. <sighs> and we need we need the arts back in the church for this. Wow, very reason.
0: we do. Dude, that is so powerful. That is so yeah. powerful. As you're talking about that, I am thinking about. So there is this. Um, last year was it? Last? Yeah, last year my wife and I were exploring orthodoxy, and then we decided to switch over to Presbyterianism, which we're no longer doing <laughs> for for many reasons. But um, I, we're we're definitely going to actually be going back to or, or orthodoxy and probably immersing ourselves fully into it. Um.
1: Oh, that's amazing. But there
0: is this amazing uh Sunday called Epiphany Sunday or something, right? And Epiphany Sunday is uh, uh it's celebrating the baptism of Christ, mm. and there's an icon of it, right? And the idea is that in Jesus' baptism, he divinizes the cosmos through entering the waters and he like sanctifies creation through entering the waters. And, wow. and the idea is that like, because he entered the waters, now everyone else who enters the waters in his name enters into that sanctification. It's just, it's like, man, what a beautiful concept, but like yeah. they ground this in like early father theology. There's a whole icon for it. And so the priest has like, this is where you get your Holy water for the year. Right. And like he blesses the waters and it, it it's this like reenactment of the of how Christ blessed the waters with his immersing himself into creation, right? In the waters. And like he goes throughout the whole um church building, kind of doing like a like a cool ritual of like splashing holy water everywhere and reciting prayers. And and, and it's like, oh, you know, where's that in the Bible? Uh, That's, I get it. I totally understand if you're Protestant or if you're coming from like a very materialist sort of um, evangelical, American evangelicalism, that's like super weird. It looks like witchcraft or whatever. But um, there's actually something called priestcraft in the, you know, not that we need a priest, but we have a high priest, Jesus. Yeah. And so like, I bring that up because like, we have the same, and, and again, so why, I feel like, why are those experiences necessary? Why are they important? Because they give us a, they give us something to see so we're, so that we can, um, integrate the concept even further where we have a visual to where we're creating, neural pathways and networks around the whole theological framework excuse me of the visual something you can see something you can you can you know drink a little bit of it you know bless your home with it the holy water the incense something you could smell something you hear as they're singing in greek or reciting prayers in greek about christs and what he does like it's really an immersive experience going through and watching Uh that and what happens if you do it often is that there is this union with the experience and all of these reference points for it and so we live in a world of symbology dog (laughs) like yeah everything's a symbol for christ and we need that we need to recover the beauty of the symbols of the world that point to jesus all trees point to jesus as the tree of life all water points to jesus as the water of life all bread points to jesus as the bread of life all light that comes from stars and suns and the moon reflecting that light points to jesus as the light of the world yeah right all dirt and ground points to jesus entering human flesh god made adam's humanity essentially from the ground and then breathed into into them the breath of life and so god basically in he clothes himself with the dirt that he made humans from right yeah all the did you know that all the elements in the periodic table can be found in the human body
1: I did not know
0: that. Those wow. are all elements that you find deep within the earth. Wow. Again, another thing that doesn't technically prove in a scientific way that God did indeed make us from the ground, but it's an interesting thing that points to huh, what if there's something to you know the Bible when it says that God yeah. made us from yeah. the ground and breathed into <laughs> us his breath? Right. Like oh, yeah. Um and and, and uh I'm a little bit sad that we didn't give ourselves more time to explore it in a deeper way and see the beauty behind it. But there is so much wonderful symbology there. Uh, Another guy I really like listening to, um, and I think, I don't think I've shared his stuff with you, but he has Jordan Peterson a lot on his podcast. His name is Jonathan Peugeot. And he has a podcast called The Symbolic World. And he he, kind of goes into this stuff, but more like from like a theological stuff perspective talks about politics a little bit it doesn't really go into somatics like we do i think we're probably the only people that are that talk about this stuff but um back to the whole point of this um i want to bring up this really cool article i'm going to put it in the show notes for people who want to take a look at this article uh but i'm going to read a little bit of it um and it's from this website called christwords.com and uh, do you want to you
1: share your screen with it
0: Yeah, it's a longer article, but um, I don't want to like read the whole thing, but I'll read some of it. So let me go ahead and share my screen. Yes, share. Okay. Can you see it? Yeah. So I'll just go ahead and start reading this. The Greek word for demon has taken a different meaning today than it had in Christ's time. As importantly, the Greek word for demons seems to have had a different meaning in the new testament than it had generally in greek history for those who have trouble with parts of the gospel that seem outdated the large role of casting out demons plays christ's story uh, plays in christ's story can be a particular stumbling block strangely enough however the ancient jewish view of demons has more in common with modern thinking than it did with greek philosophy the greek word daimonian Does not mean demon as an evil spirit, much less the devil. In Greek, though, actually a different Greek word is used, translated as the devil. The Greek word means divinity or divine power or a lower divine being. For those of you who listen to Lords of Spirits who understand Michael Heiser's work, this will make sense a little bit. It is not a negative term, quite the opposite. As an adjective, it meant miraculous and marvelous, not demonic. It was used as a term of address, as an honorific like good lady or good sir. On the spiritual side, it refers to visitations of heaven and the ways of the gods, interestingly enough, if you have the framework of Michael Heiser, um, or at least an understanding of it. As a verb, it meant to be possessed by a god. Ha! interesting. Mm -hmm. However, this is clearly not the way that Christ uses it, nor the way that the people in Judea in his era use the word. Christ uses it to refer to spirits. That is to things that exist in a non-material way. Christ equates the Greek word for spirit pneuma in the same context as daimonian. For example, Matthew 12, 27, he uses daimonian at the beginning of a discussion about casting out demons, but as he continues to talk about what happens when a demon is cast out, um, Matthew 12, 43 and twelve forty-five, which uses pneuma for spirit. Right? Christ is often described by the gospel writers as casting out devils, but he only uses the word daemonian, translated variously as devil, evil spirit, or demon, less than a dozen half times. Uh, more interestingly, he almost always uses it in the context of describing a specific ability, the ability of casting out devils. He says little about people being possessed by demons except for the repossession in Matthew 12:45 by a spirit and in defending himself from the accusation of being possessed by a demon, right? So continuing on, of course, we talk about people fighting against their internal demons today as well, but we do this in the context of discussing mental disorders. If the Christ story was being written today, it would be filled with stories referring to people with addictions, troubled minds, schizophrenia, mental disorders, and especially delusions. The terms would be more psychological because we view our society as more scientific. However, the real delusion here is that we have a better and more honest understanding of the human mind and the human spirit today than people did 2,000 years ago. What we really have is a new way of thinking about what we don't understand. Our pretense of understanding is done in different terms than those of Christ's era. The whole point of, of this article and why I want to bring this article up, I'm going to stop sharing here, is... um. the whole premise behind that particular article is that, you know, mental illness is closely related to demonic, right? The demonic. Mm, Yeah. And, and so sometimes it's not people possessed by a spirit, but they're influenced heavily by a spirit that causes destruction in their life. You understand? And so like, again, if they're accusatory spirits and look, we're, we're receptors, we are spiritual um receivers okay we, we're we're channels for spirit we can mm-hmm. we can house the Spirit of God the Holy Spirit and he can flow through us rivers of living water all of that you see it all throughout book of Acts or you can have another spirit flowing through you yeah. right and so it all mental illness I think is also a possibly a complex union or um part of a combination of possible demonic influence genuine trauma and trauma responses that exist within the person and and like injury to their soul and their body and their brain via that yeah. and I, I don't think you i think it'll be a disservice to say it's only the materialist point of view or It's just the demonic point of view, which you see this in like some of the some of the more recent sensational videos on YouTube through some of these like deliverance minister people. And then they they like kind of like expose people, they put them online, and you see people like vomiting up, and they're like, Yeah, we're delivering them from demons. Come out, come out, come out. And it's just like a lot of those moments look more traumatic than. Then, then not (laughs) right. Um, and yes, there's an element to that, but like, what if the person just needs the father's voice of love and to believe? Like, you gotta, again, this is this requires discernment. And it's like, do we cast out a spirit or do we tear down a stronghold? Yeah. And I think you get there's a there's a there's a discernment. Or do you do both? Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Yes. Is, is it both? Is it do we tear down strongholds via renewing the mind and grounding someone in gospel centrality, Christ-centeredness, where it's not, oh, I'm going to be introspective and navel-gazing in my journey of transformation and healing, but that I'm always continually, constantly looking towards the healing power of Christ. You know what I mean? My union with him, his indwelling of me. And then what the Bible does did, declares about what is true about me and true for me because of christ um yeah
1: yeah i I think i think that one of the fragmentations that we experience as a human race one of the brutal brutal things we experience is our our own pride and i i think that Any, any human being who steps into a ministry platform where God's power begins to flow is, is tempted at some point with pride. And I'm going here because I think what I, what I've experienced at times is that people, they want to feel the power of God and they want to experience that. And they want to be like the guy, the minister Which look, I've, I've been there. Like I'm, I'm not any better than that. You know, I'm not, I'm not seeing, I haven't fallen into that way of being, but that's a dangerous place to be in because we're talking about human beings who are fragmented, trying to heal other human beings who are fragmented with a possibly fragmented way of looking at things. (laughs) So uh specifically around deliverance i I think it's a i don't want to say it's it's not a thing i i know it's a thing i've gone through some deliverance myself but without tearing down the stronghold and without actually discipling people in love and in bringing them into their identity those same spirits can influence them right back into whatever they got into. And it'll be worse because now they're going to be there. There'll be a heap of condemnation on them for, for not like staying the course or walking the path or doing, doing anything that in their own mind, if their mind isn't renewed that they should be doing, it'll oftentimes lead to to shitting on themselves. And so it can then become worse problem. And I, I personally believe the approach of tearing down a stronghold and which essentially what, if you're not familiar with the Christian faith, what that means, or even if you are in the Christian faith, but you're not sure what that means, it's a stronghold was a, a place where an army would run into that was practically impenetrable by their, by the enemy. And so it's, in them in our mind it's you know maybe it's neural pathways that we've we've run that thought so 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 much that it's really difficult to get off of that pathway and into a new one it's the place that we we retreat to in our own mind it's the survival techniques that we retreat to where we become impenetrable with love that those need to actually be broken down and infiltrated with love which is why love is the more excellent way it's better than Healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out devils, moving mountains, whatever. We could operate in all the power in the world, but if we don't love people, we have no power to actually penetrate the places in their mind and in their soul that are so fragmented that that they stay stuck in those places and uh, they, they stay stuck in those narrow pathways, repeating the same story over and over and over and over again. And it's really not until those stories get interrupted with love that people will really begin to heal. And so just casting out a devil is okay, cool. Or a spirit or the influence of that spirit, however we want to look at it there. Yeah, it may, it may work, but if, if what happens after that, you know, what's, what's the process after that? This is why, why identity Really, I don't even like using the word identity because I do believe that words are so powerful that I, I I prefer using the word image, that why us understanding our image, that we're image bearers, that we carry the very image of God, uh, that it's so important for us to really grasp that and begin to have new experiences around that reality. It, it says in 2 Corinthians, one of my favorite passages, it says, behold all things have become new and that word Mm -hmm. behold means to experience or have an interview with and this is where like the mere shift that we're doing is so powerful because how oftentimes do we not have an interview with the new us that we have in christ and we're a new man we've been made brand new regenerated and how often do we have an experience with that guy most of us stay stuck in the experience of the old man, and and our reference point for our own existence is all in the past and not Christ. So, leading people unto that reality is way more important in my opinion than just casting out a the devil. They may need that. It's a great tool to have in my tool belt when somebody is maybe stuck in a pattern that that seems very difficult. Maybe. Some of the influence of some spirit, we need to tell that thing to go and and all of that stuff. Tell it to get out, leave it, leave the person alone through through that authority. But but then discipling them and training them to think differently is so important.
0: Absolutely. Um, for example, look, uh, I forget who it was, uh, probably Hippolytus or something like that. It's like look if you heal somebody, um, and you make them well, are you also going to ask them to give up the things that made them ill in the first place? Mm. Um, and so like deliverance, isn't just this like sensational, you know, magic pill, boom, the demons out of you. No, it, it, Again, if I'm the context for the content of of demonic um expression, whether in myself or around me, then I'm welcoming it all into my experience, right? and and this yeah. is where this is where I want to bring it back to the Bible and kind of connect a few um interesting ideas that are opening up through this. Jesus says in matthew twelve forty three when a when an unclean spirit comes out of a man, it passes through arid places seeking rest. And does not find it, then it says, I will return to the house I left. On its arrival, it finds the house vacant, swept clean, and put in order. Right? Mm -hmm. He's speaking of the human as the house. Well, that's interesting because Paul says that we're a house for the spirit, we're a dwelling place, a temple of the holy the sacred yeah. the sacred spirit not just any spirit the sacred spirit of all creation he said uh 1245 then it goes and it brings with it seven other spirits numata more wicked than itself and they go in and then dwell there and the final um state of that man is worse than the first now and then he says, so will it be with this twisted generation, Ponera. Now, you know what's really interesting about this whole concept of demons and, you know, it, it you cast something out, but then if it finds the house swept up and clean and essentially vacant, then it brings with it more, right? Now, when, when you look at, this is really cool video I saw this morning of how neurons connect to each other and they look like. Sticks with these like arms that are like constantly like at the e- at 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 each end kind of like grabbing for something, and then you see like these neurons connecting, like moving towards each other, and then they'll connect and then they'll like bind, like and think oh. of the binding like you ever seen Avatar, the the blue um, people,
1: yeah,
0: and you know how they have that little thing in the back of their head and they're like, <laughs> like yeah. Yeah. and they like they've like become one and they fuse. Well that's yeah. like the same idea like they neurologically connect and intermingle. Well that's how neurons work, right? So wow. if if I cast out a stronghold but then I don't replace it with the truth of Christ, of who I am, of as an image bearer and my identity in him, all that. Yeah. And when when there's an opportunity for that lie to um enter my brain and my mind and my whole thing again, it'll start making new neural connections, wow. which is why like the reason this work is so important that we're talking about is because we we understand neuroplasticity. We understand, you know, not perfectly, we're not like PhDs or anything like that, but we we get the concept to the point where we say, this is in the Bible, you know, Romans 12, renew your mind, and that's how you're transformed. That's speaking about neuroplasticity in an implicit way, not explicitly, but we understand that, right? Like, yeah. A lot of the deliverance and freedom that I've experienced doesn't come from like some guy slapping his sweaty palm on my face and going, Come out. It's yeah. come, it's come from a overtime exposure to the gospel and communion with God in the spirit and believing the truth over and over and over and over again. And I've made new neural connections in my brain that then transfer to the somatics of my body and bring me back to that state where I am regulated. My body's now in homeostasis and I'm able to experience the emotions and states of being that promote high immunity, right? That promote um, well-functioning organs and a well-functioning brain. Like we really underestimate the necessity of just most basic things like good hydration, sleep, nutrition, exercise, and like connection, like hugs. Did you know that if if you hug someone for over 20 seconds that your body will start producing oxytocin, which is a bonding hormone?
1: Yeah. Dude, when we go to, when we go to rainbow, this is a little joke, but when we go to rainbow, we have because rainbow is a hippie gathering, right? Yeah. Uh, so we go, we go to this gathering and we have a sign that we put on the trade circle and it says free Oxy. <laughs> 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 and so we give out yeah. hugs. It's oh, hot.
0: that's so cool. I got to yeah. come up with you guys next time. I feel like it's going to be really for
1: good. Yeah. Real
0: that sounds really cool i really love that idea yeah um i think i want to make a t-shirt out of that
1: <laughs> oh that, that's a great idea bro that's
0: free oxy Why?
1: and on the back say uh yeah you know have it talk about 18 second hugs or 20 second hugs
0: <laughs> yo okay we should really do that and like
1: For real make merch <laughs> Let's do it, bro. Make so, merch,
0: yeah. bro. Um, <laughs> that's a great idea. Free oxy. <laughs> yeah. Uh oh man. This has been good. Um, I feel it right. has been.
1: I, I get to uh
0: let's wrap I it get, up, guys. Up. Um, we hope this episode blessed you and um we did go down some rabbit trails, but hopefully you see the interconnectedness of all the things that we spoke about. Um And you know, here's to the beautiful future of what we're creating to serve every one of you that's listening. Um, We hope to see you in the flesh and give away free Oxy. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Have a good one. See you guys. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Somatic Gospel Podcast. We hope that you found the conversation valuable and that you feel inspired to continue your own journey towards greater awareness healing, and transformation. Remember, you don't have to navigate this path alone. So we're here to support you every step of the way. So be sure to tune in to our next episode where we're going to explore the transformative power of anger. Until then, may you be blessed in your own unique journey towards wholeness and may you continue to be a blessing to those around you. Peace out.